Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast. This is the fourth and final part of the War of Spanish Succession. In the first three parts of this set of episodes, we've talked about the War of Spanish Succession up to and including a series of victories on the battlefield for the British, Dutch and Imperial forces against the French and their Bavarian allies, including the battles of Blenheim, Ramelli and Oudenaarde. We also covered the other key events of the conflict across Western Europe, in Spain, Italy and Savoy. The month of January 1709 witnessed exceptionally cold weather across most of northwestern Europe, and biting cold winds lasted until mid-March. The effect on the French was devastating, as vines as far south as Provence died of frost and thousands of animals froze to death in their stalls and barns. So deep was the freeze that it even destroyed the young winter wheat in the ground, causing widespread crop failure. Negotiations for a peace settlement of the War of Spanish Succession had been ongoing for some time, making little progress. As the fortunes of war waxed and waned, the various parties' hopes and ambitions for concluding a peace shifted accordingly. Louis XIV of France, with his treasury empty, enemy troops penetrating his northern frontier, and his subjects dying of starvation, desired peace, and was now prepared to make major compromises to achieve it. He was also aware that Vienna was now strengthened by having put down the rebellion in Hungary and Transylvania. In May the Allies put forward their demands. King Philip V of Spain was to turn over all his Spanish possessions to Archduke Charles. Louis was to guarantee his grandson's actions by evacuating several frontier fortresses. 
The permanent settlement would include serious losses for France, such as the loss of Strasbourg, an occupation by the Dutch as part of their barrier, a frontier zone which would protect them from future French aggression. On top of that, the Allied demands would force Louis to commit French armed forces to drive Philip V from his throne if he failed to leave peacefully. Remarkably, the Sun King appeared to give in to nearly all demands, but the main sticking point was the indignity of using his own forces to remove his grandson from Spain. That was a humiliation too far for the French King. Unfortunately, the overconfident allies overplayed their hands and lost a golden opportunity for peace on terms which suited them well. The fact was that they had found it much harder to hold on to towns in Spain than to take them, as was highlighted further when they lost Alicante in March. Philip V of Spain was determined to hold on to his crown and had enough native support for it to be impossible for Louis just to order him to leave. The Castilian heart of Spain stayed loyal to him, although Catalonia, Aragon and Valencia were prepared to support the Allies in what amounted to a revolt against the centre. Louis pulled some of his forces from Spain in 1709, which allowed the Allies to gain ground, but when French forces were sent back to the peninsula the year after, the Allies again quickly lost what they had taken. Louis XIV determined to fight on, and the crunch point would be Flanders, where if the Allies could force a breakthrough, they might even be able to threaten Paris. Marlborough and Prince Eugene again worked together there with a combined field army of about 10,000 troops. After another harsh winter, they started campaigning late and set upon besieging one more Flemish fortress, Tournay. The French army adopted a defensive strategy, while the heavy fortifications of Tournay again took a long time to break down, so that the city only fell on the 3rd of September. The Allies then moved on to besiege the town of Mons. Louis XIV panicked at the fall of Tournay and ordered the commander, Marshal de Villars, to do whatever he thought necessary. Quote, Should Mon follow the fate of Tournay, our case is undone. You are by every means in your power to relieve the garrison. The cost is not to be considered. The salvation of France is at stake. End quote. As the last army between the Allies and Paris, de Villars had to act cautiously, and he confronted the enemy forces near the village of Malplaquet on open ground, flanked by woodland. With a combined force of 86,000 troops and 100 cannon, Marlborough and Prince Eugene held the advantage of numbers, and they held the initiative, while de Villars' intentions were entirely defensive. The fighting was long and intense. Even though the French were outnumbered, Marlborough's familiar tactics of flank attacks to draw off troops from the centre incurred serious attrition by massed French musketry and skilful use of artillery. When the Allied assault on the enemy centre came, they were unable to pursue the French, who retreated in good order. 
Although technically an Allied victory, because the French retreated, it was a Pyrrhic victory, due to the appalling number of casualties suffered by the Allies, some 20,000, twice as many as the French. The French fought with desperate courage and prevented the Allies from invading France. Marshal de Villars, who had fought in the front lines, sustained a shattered knee. In excruciating pain, he was carried to Versailles and received with a hero's welcome. The winter of 1709-1710 was again a miserable one for the French people, but the French lines held firm, and Marlborough was still unable to break through. Then, in the summer of 1710, the political situation changed when the Tory party of Britain came to power. They were determined to end what they perceived as a ruinously expensive continental war and to abandon the Whig policy of no peace without Spain. They began secret negotiations with the French and by the spring of 1711 were close to an agreement, although it took a long time to persuade Britain's various allies to accept the proposed terms. The position of the Grand Alliance was weakened by further losses in Spain, making it even more unlikely that Philip V would consider abandoning his throne. Then, in the spring of 1711, Louis' position improved. On the 17th of April, Emperor Joseph I died from smallpox at the age of just 32, and without fathering a male heir. He was succeeded by Archduke Charles as Emperor Charles VI. The Allies, including the English and Dutch, could not be expected to support making him King of Spain as well as Holy Roman Emperor, making Philip V look more like a reasonable alternative. In his short six-year reign, Emperor Joseph I could take credit for strengthening the dynasty militarily and financially. It is interesting to speculate what would have happened if he had lived longer, and had the chance to rule in peacetime, for his successor Charles was more in the mould of their ponderous father, Leopold. Peace still proved elusive, with much argument about procedure and precedence. But on the 31st of March 1713, the Treaty of Utrecht was signed by France, Britain, the Dutch Republic, Portugal, Savoy and Brandenburg, Prussia. Philip V continued to oppose any dismemberment of the Spanish Empire, and so still held out. Emperor Charles VI also refused to sign the peace. The Austrians gradually came to realise that without Allied help they had no choice but to renounce their claims to Spain. They hoped to create a more territorially compact Austrian state built around the hereditary lands and Italy, and tried unsuccessfully to exchange the southern Netherlands for their neighbour Bavaria. But they did finally sign peace with France in March 1714 at the town of Rastad, on terms substantially the same as those of Utrecht. Philip V remained as King of Spain, but renounced the French throne, removing the threat of a huge Franco-Spanish empire under one ruler. Louis XIV consented to the demolition of the fort at Dunkirk, from where pirates plagued English and Dutch shipping. 
he recognised the Hanoverians as the rightful successors to the English throne. He abandoned his claims to Luxembourg, Philipsburg and other towns on his northern and eastern frontiers. The city of Nice was handed back to Savoy, while Lorraine was restored to its duke. However, Louis retained the city of Lille and Strasbourg. The Low Countries, which had beforehand been Spanish, now went to Austria, as did Naples, Sardinia and Milan. The Dutch Republic retained its barrier fortresses, such as Ypres, Tournai, Mons, Charlois and Namur. The Elector of Brandenburg was recognised as King of Prussia and received Spanish Gelderland. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Britain acquired Gibraltar and Menorca, and with it naval power in the Mediterranean, and during the war also took control of Newfoundland and Nova Scotia from the French in Canada. She also gained significantly in terms of trade opportunities, and a rapidly expanding empire based on pursuit of trade was the result. In the long run, her vast empire derived its origins from the wars against Louis XIV and the Peace of Utrecht. Britain also acquired the status of guardian of a new European balance of power. From the Peace of Utrecht onwards, French, British, Austrian and other diplomats increasingly used the vocabulary of equilibrium and balance on their correspondence and negotiations. They came to envisage Europe as a continent in a state of harmony and equilibrium, in which no state would have the capacity to overturn that balance. The origins of such notions, suggests David Sturdy, may owe something to the effects of the scientific revolution. Quote, statesmen, many of whom followed scientific developments with a passion, came to apply scientific principles to international relations and develop the concept of equilibrium analogous to that found in nature or the movement of planets and stars. End quote. Britain also established a new relationship with the German Empire as a bulwark against French expansionism, 
especially when the Elector of Hanover was crowned King George I of England on the 1st of August 1714, beginning the country's Georgian era. The Austrians, in spite of their complaining, were significant winners, benefiting in particular from considerable tax payments from the Low Countries. And Brandenburg Prussia was henceforth seen clearly as a rising power. Louis XIV's bid for hegemony in Western Europe had been defeated, but the French king had in the end been successful in placing his grandson on the throne of Spain, starting a Bourbon dynasty there, and so successfully ended the long-held French fear of encirclement. Louis died a year after the Peace of Rastatt, after a long and eventful reign of 72 years and 110 days, the longest recorded of any monarch of a sovereign country in European history. Louis outlived most of his immediate legitimate family. His last surviving in wedlock son, the Dauphin, died in 1711, so by the time he died, Louis's heir was his five-year-old great-grandson, Louis, Duke of Anjou. A period of regency until Louis XV grew up meant that France was weakened for the years immediately after the Spanish Wars of Succession. The dying monarch is said to have shown regret for the wars he fought when he warned his infant successor that, quote, All your happiness will depend on your submitting yourself to God and on the care that you bring in bringing relief to your people. This means that you should avoid, as far as possible, making war. It is the ruin of the people. Do not follow the bad example that I have set you. I have often gone to war too lightly, and pursued it for vanity's sake. Do not imitate me, but be a prince of peace. As for Spain, she actively benefited from shedding many of her overseas commitments, as she could now concentrate on reform at home and still possess the riches of her colonies in the Americas, although she yearned for the return of Gibraltar and Menorca. Philip V had a number of French advisers who remodelled the royal household along French lines. They carried out financial reform and governmental reorganisation, in the course of which the Spanish administration began to assume the shape of ministries on the French model. Nevertheless, in spite of the French influence, the Bourbon regime in Spain was thoroughly Spanish. French influence in court waned after Philip V's French wife, Mary Louise, died in February 1714. In December of the same year, Philip married an Italian princess, Elizabeth Farnese, a strong-willed woman who had her own ideas about how to run the royal court. King Philip V worked to centralise power in Spain, making many of the kind of changes which had happened to other countries in Western Europe decades before. Already during the war in 1707, he issued a decree abolishing the fueros, or local councils of Aragon and Valencia, on the grounds of their rebellion and disloyalty. In September 1714, as the revolt in Barcelona was put down at the end of the war, the Catalan constitution was also abolished. The crown of Aragon ceased to exist, and for the first time in its history, Spain became a politically united nation. 
The exception to this was the Basque Country, which had remained loyal to the Bourbon dynasty, was allowed to retain its privileges. Custom barriers between the regions of Spain were abolished, thus also uniting the country commercially, and a single tax system was also imposed. The war also ended the political power of the old aristocratic elite, and political direction was taken over by a new gentry who worked in the service of the crown. In spite of the formal political union, internal tensions were, if anything, aggravated through the violence of imposing a Castilian regime across the peninsula and prohibiting the public use of the Catalan language. The Kingdom of Spain was reinvigorated with the beginning of the Bourbon dynasty, but the new sense of confidence cloaked grave dissensions that are still unresolved today. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com. Please go to patreon.com stroke history Europe, where for $3 a month you can gain some extra material. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, Carl at C A R L at historyeurope.net. One of my main aims for this podcast is to create a common narrative of European history seen from all possible perspectives, rather than the more frequent nation-centred narratives. To this end, I would like, if possible, to have it broadcast in different languages. If you would be interested in helping translate the podcast text to another language, please get in touch with me. Thank you. I'll leave you today with the music from the German-born Baroque composer George Friedrich Handel. He received his training in Germany and then worked as a composer in Hamburg and Italy before settling in London in the year 1712, where he spent the bulk of his career and composed pieces for the English king George I.
Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.